Good morning. Shabbat Shalom and welcome to United Israel World Union. This is our Sabbath morning scripture study coming to you live from St. Francisville. Thank you for joining with us today. Uh, Today on the Jewish calendar is the 14th day of the first month. Now, we are in the midst of a teaching series called Prophet, and I'm working on a particular study, a sub-study within the larger study that I've called The Servant in Isaiah. Now, this weekend, today, I'm going to take a slightly different approach. I'm going to take sort of a break from that teaching series because today is a, a special day. And one thing that many of you probably already know is that as best we can tell from studying historical sources, Jewish literature and so forth, that even before, now I'm talking before the Second Temple period even, before there was an established set of Torah readings, you know, that people are used to today where you begin every year and you work through the Torah in a year, uh, even before that was established, Uh, On those particular uh, Sabbaths that were associated with the feast days, with the festivals, the teacher, the rabbi, the, you know, the one who was leading the congregation would break from whatever else they were doing and talk about something relevant in in the way that we uh, associate towards that special day. So today, I wanted to see if I could pull together a special class that didn't leave out totally our understanding and our teaching and our classes on the servant, but would focus on Passover, uh, the season of Passover. So uh, that's the goal today. At the end of this, you can say, well, you met the goal, you didn't meet the goal. I think I will. So what what I wanted to do was to pull those themes together. So it, it's like uh, I said, okay, early this week, I said, Ross, you have to talk about the servant. You have to bring in something to do with the prophets, and you have to tie in the theme or a theme of Passover. That is your mission. So that's what I attempted to do. So because this evening, uh, as the sun sets, people all over the world will be seated around tables, even though it might be slightly different because of COVID restrictions and so forth. But quite a few people will be participating in a Seder. And many of you know this, but Seder means an order. It is an orderly way with the use of what is called a Haggadah to tell the story of the redemption of Israel. And so I know that many of you might be doing that. This is not to take the place of that. I have some things that I'll post later in the day that can help you do that in your own home. Uh, If you don't currently have a Haggadah, I have uh, in the past uploaded a series uh, of texts that you can read through with your family, which is totally sufficient. So, uh, But many people will be doing that. And uh, beginning this evening... Many of you, uh, like me, will be taking part in a seven-day special diet. You'll be, uh, this diet is one in which you're not going to partake of any leaven products, and many take this to the biblical literalness, and you won't even have it in your house. 
um, items with leaven. And the other side of that diet is you're not going to eat leaven, and then you're going to eat unleavened. And unleavened bread from the earliest days in the biblical story has to do with this rapid departure. James Tabor often points out that uh, if you study the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that there is an interesting uh, entry of of, uh, some unleavened bread there as well. So it has to do with making your bread, making it quickly. It doesn't have time to rise, and so many of you for seven days will be eating unleavened bread. We're talking about the festival known as Pesach. In Hebrew, we call this and other festivals by the term Chag. Chag means to whirl or to dance, so it's a joyous time. Uh, And it celebrates, at the core of the story, one of the themes, and this is what I'll be dealing with today, has to do with the idea of redemption and freedom, both past, present, and future. So I want to focus today on something very particular within the story. I'm not going to read the entire story of the Exodus not going to talk necessarily about the miraculous events that are described in the Pentateuch. What I'm going to do is take a single element, a single theme that ties with Passover, it ties with the servant, and I believe ties with something essential for people of faith even today. So I hope that it's something which will bless you and uh, benefit not only you, but others because you have heard it. So that's kind of a tall order, Uh, but that's what I set out to do. Uh, Passover, Pesach, the theme, uh, the festival, the miracles, the the story itself is mentioned throughout the Bible. We not only get the story of the Exodus and Pesach and all of that in the Pentateuch in the five books, but we also get it through the historical records. As soon as you open to to Judges uh, or to Joshua, as soon as the children of Israel cross over, what happens? You know, they go through uh, this festival and so forth. So there's so much that ties. And of course, the prophets talk about Passover and these themes. And I, I posted this week in my UI bulletin that I put out, three classes, a series that I taught last year at this time, Passover's Past, uh, I forget what the titles were, Passover's Present and the Prophetic Passover, something like that. But I tried to go through the entire corpus of biblical text and share with you how this story permeates the Bible. It's throughout the whole story. Over thousands of years, Over thousands of years, rich traditions have developed, many of which um, are are designed specifically for the reason to make the story understandable, to tell the story. Uh, But a modern-day Passover, we all know this, doesn't look anything like that original Passover. In fact, uh, John asked me before the service, you know, I have my sandals on today and You know, I could easily do a Passover in haste, as the Bible talks about it, uh, very quickly, uh, which is not the case. If you're going to a Passover Seder tonight and you've taken all the precautions and 
so forth, and you're able to participate, uh, don't expect it to be fast, right? If you've never done one of these before, get comfortable. And, and so, uh, but over the thousands of years, these traditions have uh, been developed, and, and the whole purpose is to tell this story of this great redemption. Countless souls have participated in this sacred celebration. Now, one thing that I, I saw this morning, I didn't do the math, so you have to check this for yourself, but according to Jewish chronology and, and Jewish reckoning, this is, tonight will be the 3,333rd Passover since the original. Now, I'm not trying to encourage the dating and the fighting, you know, that comes about by people saying, well, no, there's this many years that were left out and, you know, whatever. You, you determine what year it is, uh, but I just wanted to bring that up. I think it's interesting that we're looking at roughly 3,500 years, according to biblical chronology, when this original departure from Egypt took place. Roughly 3,500 years. If you're on a more minimalist side, you'll say, no, it's in the 12th. And then if you're in the more literal biblical side, you might say 1,500, you know, 3,500 years. So I just wanted to bring that in and let you know that it's been a long time. Now, the other point that I'll make before I get into the class today, I see a lot of people saying that this is the longest standing consecutively kept festival probably in the world. That is not according to Scripture. Because if you read the Scripture, what you'll see is that it hasn't been kept. Uh, it has not been kept well. And there seem to be large gaps in the keeping thereof. Uh, especially if you followed not too long ago, I taught the course on the Torah and finding the book of Moses and, and all of those things. And I pointed out that when in the days of Josiah in the 7th century BCE, when uh, a scroll was discovered, the scroll of Moses was discovered in the temple, they kept, according to Second uh, Kings 23, and Second uh, Chronicles, it says that they kept a Passover, and it mentions in both of those texts that that Passover had not been kept, at least according to how it was written, for since the time of Samuel or the time of the judges, you know. I mean, it takes you back a long time, hundreds and hundreds of years. But be that as it may, if you're keeping Passover, if you're, you're holding a festival, whether it's a small intimate gathering in your own home, even if you're alone and you're honoring and respecting this day, today I want to give you what I believe is the very essence, the very essence that applies anciently and into the future and at the present time. You know, a lot of people will talk about the various aspects of Passover, uh, and according to the biblical record, uh, there won't be any Passover sacrifice, you know. And, uh, and so certain elements don't necessarily apply right now. But what is the core essence? What is the message of Passover? That's what we're going to talk about. Passover is today 
probably kept by more people from different backgrounds than any other religious festival. I will say that. And a lot of people don't like the idea that uh, Hebraically oriented Christian types are keeping a semblance of this festival. I don't have a problem with it because I think it's wonderful that many, many people are being drawn towards things Hebraic. You know, and some might say, yeah, but they have the symbology wrong. They say that it represents their faith and their. Uh, they're sort of doing a cultural appropriation, which is a hellish no-no in our day. So a lot of people are pretty upset about that. But I want to remind people uh, that in the days of Hezekiah, when people were not keeping the Passover right in Second Chronicles 30, he prays on their behalf and God hears his prayer. They weren't keeping it right either. So I would tell people, Chill out, relax, let God be God, and you be happy that more people are being directed and oriented towards a Hebraic faith. That's for what it's worth. That's my opinion. But people across all boundaries, every language, nation, and tongue, tonight at sundown, will be celebrating Passover in one way or another. Passover and the themes associated with Passover have inspired civil rights leaders to change the world in which they lived because they looked at the story and what they found was something to which they could relate. They felt in a real way that their people had been abused and oppressed and put down by evil rules and laws and leaders. And they embraced the essence, the message of freedom for all that is echoed through the pages of the Hebrew Bible. We know of Harriet Tubman, who's known as a Moses. And how did she get that name? Because she brought people to freedom. When Martin Luther King gave his great speeches of how he dreamed of uh, a a world in which people could uh, be free, he gets it from this idea. The very last speech that Martin Luther King gives, he references Moses' speech. Because the message that they're picking up on, the essence of the message is about freedom. This message has given hope for thousands of years, basically, to the downtrodden, to the enslaved. And it sent a message, a harsh message, to those who would rule over others, a message to tyrants and oppressors. Yet it's true, the core point, the heart of the story is to proclaim freedom and liberty beyond all priestly ritual, beyond all external religious elements that people might embrace uh, in their faith definition. The core message of the Bible 
really is, and particularly when we talk about the themes associated with Passover, um, is one of liberty, an ideal that I would say resonates with every innocent and righteous soul that has ever or will ever live. I think most people can agree. Now, I'm convinced that good, innocent people everywhere and in every age long for liberty and freedom. It it crosses ethnic boundaries. No one wants to be oppressed and abused. That's a fact. But many, I think, like the ancient Israelites, can't even, even in our day, can't even imagine um, what it would be like to truly experience liberation on all levels. You know, I'm reminded in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 9, where when Moses went to uh, the children of Israel to tell them about this freedom that was headed their way, they couldn't believe him. And you know why they couldn't believe him? The phrase in Hebrew is kotze ruach umeavodah kasha. It means they couldn't believe the message that this freedom was possible because of shortness of spirit and hard service. Some people, even in our day, around the world, maybe in your own town, in your own family, have this idea of an overburden, uh, an overwhelming sense of oppression in their life in one way or another. And I'm not trying to, uh, yes, I am. I'm taking a story and I want to spiritualize it. Let's just call it what it is. I want you to think in terms of the essence of the message and apply that to whatever way in which we today find ourselves enslaved. In some cases, in our world today, even today in 2021, this is real. It's a physical bondage. People might be bound to their work. They might be under uh, shortness of spirit and hard service at their place of employment. You need freedom. So the key to achieving, the key to achieving true liberty And freedom is what I want to talk about today from a biblical perspective. And I would go ahead and propose to you that that type of liberty and freedom can come from one place and one way. And that is, it's got to be realized through service, believe it or not. The only way to true liberty and freedom is through service, service to Elohim, service to God and service to humankind. Without that, freedom and liberty can't be achieved, and I'm going to show you why. These two, service to God and service to our fellow humans, um, have the power to liberate us and them. And that's what we're going to talk about. Our world is full of poor and downtrodden, broken-hearted, enslaved, captive, bound-up people that are waiting on Moses 
They're waiting on their own Moses. They're waiting on freedom. You who listen to me today will get some keys on how you can be that Moses. You might say, well, I'm a woman. Well, Harriet Tubman was a Moses. So this is what today is about. How can you and I be Moses in a world that's oppressed by many pharaohs? The Passover story, I want you to go with me this morning to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I want to begin here this morning because I want to talk about how true freedom and liberty is brought about by service. I've often said that um, the children of Israel were redeemed from slavery to be servants of the Most High. So it's not a matter of being free to be free of all. It's a matter of serving the right master. And the wrong master is oppressive, but the master of which I speak brings liberty and freedom. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Mitzrayim, Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt and to bring them up out of that land to a good land and a large, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite, the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which Egypt oppresses them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said to Elohim, Who uh, am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a token to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve the Elohim. You shall serve the Elohim upon this mountain. In the story, in the passage that I just read, we see that that God is moved to action to bring about the freedom and liberty because of the sorrow and the tears, the affliction, the cries, the oppression and the enslavement of a people who groan under that yearning to be free. So Elohim says that when uh, you bring these people out from that slavery, from that sorrow, from those tears, you're going to serve me on this mountain. So for starters, I want to kind of establish the point that the freedom that, that God uh, provides to the children of Israel 
is freedom from this oppressive regime, but it's associated with obedience that comes through Horeb. Because remember, Moses is at Horeb when he first encounters God in Exodus chapter 3. God says, by my name, yod heh Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, I was not known. I was known as El Shaddai to the patriarchs and so forth. They didn't even know the name. He says, uh, but I will deliver these people and they'll come out and they'll worship me, serve me. Avad is the root word, service. A slave, a servant is tied to the root word avad. So what he's saying is I'm going to bring you to Horev and through what comes at Horev, your servitude will be transferred for now and for always from the oppressive Pharaoh to the one God. That's the message. The service begins at Horev. And many people have associated Passover with freedom. So this is not a new message. In fact, many people refer to Passover, the Passover season, as the festival of freedom. And and so this is not necessarily something new, uh, nor is it new that this transference of servitude uh, is, is taught as well. But when you pull it all together... I want you to understand that the message from Elohim through Moses to the oppressor is, as we say in English, let my people go. But the second part of that equation of freedom is just as important. How many times have we heard um, this saying, let my people go. We hear it all the time. It's in movies, and it seems to be a theme of Passover. Let my people go. Moses goes to Pharaoh. Let my people go. But there's another part that's very seldom emphasized. And what I want to do today is say, yes, let my people go, but for what purpose? For what purpose are the people to be brought out from under the oppressive regime? uh, Or uh, what purpose are you listening today to be brought out from under the burdens which so crush you in whatever aspect that might be? To what purpose, what goes with that, let them go? That they might serve me. I want you to listen carefully to these passages. Go with me to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. And verse 16. And you, Exodus seven sixteen, you shall say to him, now this is uh, what Moses is to say to Pharaoh, And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. So we have a 
demand, me, send forth my people, that they may serve me, and you also associate it with Horeb. There's a reason for the season, as we might say. There is a reason for the redemption. There is a purpose for this salvation, and it's, it's indicated here. Now look down at verse 26. Um, <clears throat> now in the, in the English Bible, it's going to be chapter 8, verse 1. Exodus seven twenty six, English Bibles 8, 1. And Jehovah... And Jehovah spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says Jehovah, let my people go that they may serve me. Shalaketami, shalaketami, that they may serve me. This part is often left out and it shouldn't be. Because rarely do we read, send forth my people or let my people go without this part attached to it, that they might serve me. So I've I've made this point in previous classes, but I want you to get this. The message to Pharaoh is, is twofold. Let my people go that they may serve me. God is saying, they're not your servants. They're not your servants. You have usurped and, and taken advantage and abused and oppressed, and they're not yours. Now look down at chapter 9, Exodus chapter 9, and verse 1. Jehovah said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says Jehovah, God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they might serve me. See, it's a consistent, it's not, it's not just let my people go. It's let my people go that they may serve me. This is why Pharaoh is so reluctant to let his labor force go. He realizes, you know, remember throughout the story, he's like, okay, I'll tell you what. Uh, just take this plague off me, and then and let's do this. Maybe we'll let the men go. How long you need? A couple of days. Uh, maybe we'll let the, but we won't let the women go. And, and Moses is not gonna. We're not gonna let your animals go. No, I need to let the animals go. I need the animals too. Remember Moses? I love this. Uh, he says we're not leaving one hoof behind. So the idea is that we're all leaving because the servitude to you, Pharaoh. Has ended. Look at verse 9, uh, 9 13. Exodus 9 13. <clears throat> and Jehovah said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says Jehovah, God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. What I want to emphasize this morning is that the let my go, me, is a command for all time to any and all 
who would enslave, mistreat, abuse, oppress, misuse through force, through might, or through position. And I believe that by pronouncing this today and through the season of Passover, this sounds a little bit strange coming from me. I'm sort of a textual guy. I don't go into a spiritual mode that often. But I would say to you today that during this season, say these words, Shalakitami, send forth my people that they might serve me. We need freedom and liberty to serve God in the way that he wants to be served. So you can go ahead and call out to your Pharaoh uh, to let you go. You be Moses, but be Moses for other people as well. Not only is the send forth my people a command to the oppressors of our day and, and to any oppressor and abuser throughout history, but the second part, the serve me, is an invitation. It's an invitation for all time to any and all who would desire liberty and love and purpose. The slavery of Egypt is to be remembered, of course. But I want to talk to you a little bit about that and the reason why. Are we to remember the slavery in Egypt so that we can just commiserate or so that we can uh, be sad about what happened in the past? Is that the reason we focus on it? Not at all. Not at all. I think many of you may know this, but you're going to be surprised to realize that the Bible tells us why it is that we're supposed to remember those days of slavery. Now, one of the things that I'll tell you as I get into this portion of what I want to share today is that the very ten words, the words that were engraved upon stone by the very finger of God according to the uh, five books, we get this in Exodus, we get it in Deuteronomy, the idea Uh, The ten words begin, even though there are many variations between the account given in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter uh, 5, even though there are variations, both, both of these accounts begin with the words, I am Jehovah, your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The ten words begin with, I'm the God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery, basically. So from the very beginning, we get this idea that God is the one who liberated a people for a purpose. Now, I do want to add one thing, and that is that in the Moses scroll... In my book, I'm, I'm talking about the scroll, which I believe, and Edan Dershowitz believes, is a, an early, if not the earliest, recension of the text. Um, and you might say, wait a minute, what about our ten words in our, 
in our Torah, Exodus and Deuteronomy. Well, they don't even agree with each other. This seems to be an ancient text, and I want to bring it up because instead of saying, I am Jehovah your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, it uses a very interesting verb, instead of brought you out. It uses a verb that's caused a lot of debate. And at its core, at its root meaning, it means I'm the one who liberated you, who made you a nobleman, who made you a free one. The word does occur in the Hebrew Bible associated. I looked up every occurrence of this root word. I'm doing a paper on it so you can read it later. But this root word means... It's translated every time it occurs as noble. Noble. Meaning free. Nobility. We think about nobility, but the idea is a person who is free. And I love that. That the purpose of the redemption is to take a slave and make that person a noble person, a freeman. That's what it's all about. In Deuteronomy's version, but not Exodus's version, in Deuteronomy's version, we get the following. I want you to go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. You won't get this in Exodus 20. Deuteronomy 5, I want to begin in verse 12. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it. As Jehovah your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of Jehovah your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your ox, nor your ass, nor any of your cattle, nor the stranger that is within your gates. So that, so that, I want you to focus here. Why are you and your family and your servants and your animals... Uh, not to do any work? Is it just so you can relax? Sorry. It might be a part of it, but it's not the part that's emphasized by Deuteronomy. It says, so that your manservant and your maidservant may rest as well as you. And remember this. You were a servant in the land of Egypt... And Jehovah your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and a stretched out arm. Therefore, Jehovah your God commanded you to keep the seventh day. The idea is that the ceasing of work and labor is for everyone. For you, your immediate family, for the strangers, you know. This is everybody. It's not like you can say, well, you know, I'm sorry, I can't help you on Saturday because, uh, yeah, you know, I keep the Sabbath. I'm a holy man. 
No, your, your reason, you're, and so you can't say, but I tell you what, I'll get Mark to do that for you. He doesn't keep the Sabbath anyway, you know. You, no, you're not allowed to do it. You're supposed to, allow, the reason you're supposed to stop is to give everybody a break. And your animals too. In fact, it is for the benefit of others. It is, I want you to hear that. It is for the benefit of others that we have this time of ceasing. And uh, listen to it again. Remember, you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and Jehovah your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and a stretched out arm. Therefore, Jehovah your God commands you to keep. In other words, you were a servant. You couldn't take a break. You couldn't take a ceasing. Your former master didn't allow it, but I allow it, and I require you to make it happen for those that are in your span of control is one way to put it. Think about that. It is required by law to let people stop. Deuteronomy reminds us six times of this point, namely, you were servants. Sometimes it says you were servants in Egypt. Sometimes it says you were servant in the land of Egypt. Sometimes it says you were servants uh, to uh, Pharaoh. But the bottom line is six times it says you were servants. And then what I wanted to do was say, okay, so we're ser- we were servants and what? You're gonna, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go through these. You were servants. So uh, I'm going to give you the verses because I'm not going to go through all of them, but Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 21 says, You were servants, and you can read that. Deuteronomy 15, 15 talks about you were servants. 16, 12, 24, Deuteronomy 24, 18, and 22. All of those six say you were servants. But I want you to go to Deuteronomy 24. I'm going to focus on a couple of these. Deuteronomy 24, and I want to read verse 10 through 15. Deuteronomy 24, um, 10 through 15. When you do lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to fetch his pledge. You shall stand outside. In other words, you're going to respect his space, his privacy. His, it's his. You stay out. And to, and the man to whom you did lend shall bring out the pledge to you. And if the man be poor, you shall not uh, sleep with his pledge. You shall surely deliver him the pledge again when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. And it will be his righteousness to you before Jehovah your God. People talk about, uh, you know, how do you be righteous? Well, a lot of it has to do with be kind, be caring, be considerate, you know. Don't do unto others those things which you would find hateful to yourself. I mean, it really does. It really is that simple. But here we go. You shall not oppress a hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of your brethren or of your strangers that are in your land within your gates. At his day, you shall give him his hire. 
Neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor and sets his heart upon it, lest he cry against you to Jehovah, and it's a sin against you. You know, people go, well, how? A lot of the stuff in the Torah is hard to uh, do today. This isn't. When I worked in industry, I would fill out time cards of my employees every day to make sure I didn't forget this one came in early, this one worked over. You know why? Because that's his time. It was my way of fulfilling this. The company I worked for didn't let me cut him a check every day. I couldn't do that, right? But I could make sure that I gave that worker the wages they were due that day. You can do that too. It says right here, look, these people are poor. Some of these people are poor. Some of you listening to me are poor. I'm poor, you know? So you, got, you have to think about what do we do? We have to think about those who are poor and needy. Now, here we go. Uh, uh, go down to verse 17. You shall not pervert the judgment of a stranger... Uh, or of the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a bondman in Egypt, and Jehovah your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. The way you treat others, he says, you were a servant in Egypt, and that's why I'm telling you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field... And have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to fetch it. It will be for the stranger, for the fatherless, for the widow, that Jehovah your God may bless all, bless you and all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterwards. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, therefore I command you to do this thing. What does that have to do with being a slave in Egypt? You know what? You can almost imagine that if someone left something in the field, that the taskmaster would sweep that field at the end of the day's work. And he would say, you, come get this, you left just that little bit. What God wants the children of Israel to understand is, relax. People need to benefit that could otherwise not have. Leave some. Leave for the poor. Help those who can't help themselves. The things that are required by these laws, caring, sharing, kindness, fairness. They're legislated? Do they, you, you think, well, I, I'm a good person. I don't. No, they need to be. They need to be. So you have a model as to how we should behave, how we should act. These, these ideas, caring, sharing, fairness, kindness, they were not allowed or they were not extended to Israel when they were slaves in Egypt. And therefore, God says, you are required to do these things, and here it says it. As servants of Elohim, he requires that these things are 
to benefit. These are extended to all. They are to remember, get this, they are to remember the wrongs in order to encourage the rights. You're going to remember all these bad things about cruel oppression and bondage and all these bad things because you're not allowed to do them to other people. Oppression, get this, oppression is forbidden for the same reason. Look back at Exodus. Go to Exodus 23. Exodus 23. We're talking about how you can be Moses in a way... In your day, in our day, Exodus 23 and verse 9. And you shall not oppress a stranger because you know the heart of a stranger, seeing that you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Look, you're, you're not allowed to oppress a stranger because you know the heart of the stranger. You know, I, I use this analogy because I had lots of kids. I have lots of kids. I have six kids. And, and I would tell the boys, the girls didn't do this. At least they didn't do it where I could see it. But the boys would pick on the next one down. You know, the oldest one would beat the hell out of the next one. And the next one would, you know, they, they didn't fight a lot. But you know what I'm saying. So you tell the, you tell the number two son, look, don't beat number three. You remember how you felt when number one beat you? You know, you try to convince, I mean, it makes sense. Of course, they don't listen. But, uh, you know, th- this is the idea. You, you know the heart of a stranger. We want to convey this in the Bible. We want to bring this to the fore. This is the main point. Look, go back to Exodus 22. Exodus 22. And verse 20, um, you shall neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall neither, by the way, it's verse 21 in the English, but 20 in the Hebrew. Don't vex a stranger, don't oppress him. You were stranger in the land of Egypt. You know what it's like. All right, go with me to um, Exodus 19, um, uh, Leviticus 19. I'm just trying to show that this idea, legislated love, let's call it, is throughout the Hebrew Bible because it benefits the world. You're going to legislate love and caring and kindness and so forth and fairness. Uh, Leviticus 19, I want to start with 33. And if a stranger sojourn with you in your land, Leviticus 19.33, you shall not wrong him, but the stranger that deals with you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Why? That's me. Why? For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Jehovah your God. Huh. Don't wrong the stranger. You were a stranger. You know what it's like. 
Now, go back to verse um, 17. Leviticus 19, 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall certainly rebuke your neighbor and not suffer sin on his account. You shall not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Jehovah your God. Now, some might read this and think, well, I mean, I've got to treat my neighbor, my people, my race, my ethnic group, my religious, what I mean, you know, people can put, they can call neighbor whatever they want to call neighbor in their mind, at least initially, but not so when they read down further. When you get to verse 33 and 34, it opens that door wide open. No longer can you be narrow in your definition of neighbor. It extends to the stranger. Look at Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. Numbers 15 and verse 15. Easy to memorize. One ordinance shall be both for you of the congregation and also for the stranger that sojourns with you. An ordinance forever throughout your generations as you are, so shall the stranger be before Jehovah. One Torah, one code shall there be for you and for the stranger that sojourns with you. How many times have I heard people say, well, you know, this is for Israel. You can't do it. You can't do what? Who, who, is some, who is anybody to tell anyone that they can't maintain this high standard of legislated love? That's not right. This is supposed to be a message for the world. Look at Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy 10. Uh, verse 19. Um, Love, therefore, the stranger. Why? For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, look, let's look at what comes before that. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, and now, Israel, what does Jehovah... God, your God, require of you but to fear Jehovah your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve Jehovah. There you go, serve Jehovah your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the commandments of Jehovah and his statutes, which I command you this day, for your good. Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens belong to Jehovah your God, the earth also with all that's on it. Only... Jehovah took delight in your fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be stiff-necked no more. For Jehovah your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, mighty, terrible, who favors no person and takes no bribe. He executes judgment of the fatherless and widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and raiment. Love, therefore, the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know what it's like. How should we serve our God? Well, a big part of it is that's required 
is to demonstrate our service to God by serving others. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to say. It's easy to say, oh, I love the Lord. I serve God. Bless God. It's a whole lot harder to serve others. The easy part is to, to mimic or mouth this, uh, you know, with your lips to draw near to God. But what I'm talking about is how is our heart drawn to God? And I'm talking to me as well. How do we demonstrate our faith? You, you know, it's one thing to say I have my theology straight and my Passover Seder is following the law. That's easy technically impossible because if you're doing it in Missouri you're not following it you should be in Jerusalem anyway so so you're messing up right now but my point is how do we get beyond the ritual the external elements of religion and become a true servant you you can you can serve god the the best way to do it the most tangible way to do it is to touch others, to, to serve others. You know, in, in uh, the Passover Seder, uh, if you think about it, in the story of the Exodus, the bad guys are the Egyptians. But, you know, in Deuteronomy 23, 7, it says you can't abhor an Egyptian. You know why it says you can't abhor an Egyptian? Because you sojourned in his land. See, it's this idea, you, you were there, you, no matter how much you want to hate, you're not allowed. Now, take that, internalize that, you were a servant, and use that as your gauge on how to love and care for and be fair with others. You saw the worst, now be the best. You experienced the worst. Don't ever cause anyone to go through what you went through. Deuteronomy 15. This is one of the most challenging chapters uh, for a lot of reasons, and I'm not going to go into the whole chapter but I encourage you, read it this week while you're thinking about how can you be a good servant. Read Deuteronomy 15. But I want to focus on chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, be sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him out free from you, you shall not let him go away empty. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock and out of your threshing floor and out of your wine press of that which Jehovah your God has blessed you. You shall give him and you shall remember that you were a bondman in the land of Egypt and that Jehovah your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you to do this today. So just as uh, Israel was sent forth out of Egypt and they didn't go out empty handed, they're to take that lesson even and say, when you let someone go, you send them forth. Same word, by the way. You send them forth, send them out with something. 
You know why? Because that's what happened for you. You, you replicate the good you do unto others. The truth of the great story of this season, you were treated badly as sojourners and slaves. Break the cycle. And, and even though it's hard at times to tie our present life and our, uh, the things that go on around us with this ancient biblical message, I guarantee you that everyone who hears me today has a way to associate this. How, how can I model with others how I'm supposed to live? You know, kindness is contagious. Caring is contagious. People often uh, give to others as they were. That's why it's so powerful. Don't do unto others as you, because most people can go, wow, would you, would you want somebody to do that to you? No, I wouldn't. Well, don't do it to anyone else. This idea, it's a strong lesson for us. Break the cycle. Israel, the children of Israel were saved to serve. And to teach the world uh, through their freedom that they've learned how to be the ultimate servant. Liberty and freedom are throughout Scripture, throughout. We've looked at a few examples. Look at Leviticus 25. I want to look at 25 verse um, probably 8 through 10. Let's see. Yeah, let's just look at 25, Leviticus 25, 8 through 10. And you shall number seven Sabbaths of years to you, um, seven times seven years in the space of seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years, and you shall cause a shofar to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the shofar throughout all your land. You shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a uval, a jubilee for you, and you shall return every man to his possession, and you shall return every man to his family. This idea of freedom, it's every week. Every seven days, you're going to stop and you're going to let other people stop so they can taste freedom. Every seven years, you're going to let people, you're going to release people from those things which burden them. Every 50 years, you are, you see, it's in small and short, the short term, the midterm, the long term, freedom, 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 liberty, liberty, liberty. It's required. It's demanded. Look down at verse 17. Uh, Leviticus 25, I think it's 17. You shall not therefore defraud one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am Jehovah your God. You shall do all my statutes and so forth. The idea is don't do other people wrong. You're not allowed. It's forbidden. It's forbidden. Look down at verse 55. Uh, Leviticus twenty five fifty five. Uh, for to me, the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants who I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am Jehovah your God. The idea is that Israel is to be a servant and that servant can't abuse others because they're the modeled servant. 
What's the goal is to get other people to serve God as well. Do you know that ultimately all nations will serve the one God? How's that going to happen? We have a light to the nations, a covenant of the people. That people is supposed to model the way so well, so perfectly that others from all the nations will say, our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. The other people will say, ten men from all the languages of the nations will grab the hem of the garment of him that's a Jewish man, saying, we will go with you because God is with you, Zechariah 8.23. The idea is that there ought to be something worth looking at that is a model that's a template that causes people to say, that's how we ought to be. Now, if that person is saying, don't do like me, you're not allowed, we have a problem. Israel's task, Israel was freed from ruthless oppression to be servants, servants with a task to bring freedom to all the inhabitants of the land. And I want to be as big with land as the Bible is with land. And I want to be as big with land here as I was with the word neighbor. Let freedom ring throughout all the lands. To red and yellow, black and white. Every faith, every ethnicity every language, nation, kindred, tongue. Who cares what would the world be if we could embrace what it means to serve someone other than ourselves? Israel is a servant with a global, noble task. The Moses scroll says that God liberated Egypt through law, through a very special law. And the Moses scroll even contains one about not hating your brother in your heart. If somebody says, I don't know what this Moses scroll is, well, do you know what Leviticus 19 is? Guarantee you know that. Israel is to be a servant with a global, noble task. I want you to look with me at Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. We're talking uh, the past few weeks about a servant. And this is a good place to begin pulling this together. Isaiah 61. And verse 1 and 2. Ruach Adonai Yehovah The spirit of Adonai Jehovah is upon me because Jehovah has anointed me to announce good tidings to the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim an acceptable year of Jehovah. This week, as you remember the miraculous stories of the freedom from Egypt, 
I want you to remember this as well. Many, some of you maybe, but many of those around you and around me, around us everywhere, are slaves to other masters. They're in hard bondage. They're oppressed. They are what Isaiah called the shattered of heart. They're suffering from shortness of spirit and hard service. And all they need is a Moses to say, Shalakitami. That call, imagine one Moses is great. But what if everyone were a Moses? You go, everybody can't be a Moses, Ross. One prophet is great. Imagine if everyone was a prophet. You know, when Moses was told that others were trying to take his job, he said, are you jealous for my sake? Wish that all God's people were prophets. You know what I wish? I wish that all of Elohim's people were Moses's. Because you have the power to liberate someone in some way. Freedom comes from serving our God, but that comes through the practice of serving others. Greatness, I believe, is achieved in God's eyes as we serve Him by serving others. Think about those things this week. Shabbat Shalom, Shavuot Tov, Have a wonderful festival of freedom and be Moses.